because you spoke into our life, because you encouraged us, because you are genuinely helping us with the very things we thought we were left to ourselves to accomplish. Thank you, God, for reminding us that you don't just say, come. You invite us into your presence so that you can then speak into our lives with power. And we're asking this over friends and loved ones we know, Lord, who are struggling, who are grieving, who are hurting, who are in a quandary, who are facing difficulties that are beyond measure. Oh, Lord, show up big in their life. Father, we pray for the people of Miami, for the families and loved ones who have lost so much in the devastation there this week. Lord, we thank you that you are there as near as their breath, seeking to bring them comfort and new hope. Oh God, help them to experience your loving arms wrapped closely around them. Bring healing, Lord. Father, we continue to pray for Jackie Faircloth. We ask, oh God, that you would speak directly into her life this very day, Lord, let this be a day when she knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are standing with her, holding her up and loving her. Bring healing to her, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for Jim Canale's conclusion of cancer treatment, and we know that now he is recovering at home, and we pray that that recovery process will put a skip back in his step. We pray for Joanne Baldy, Lord, healing from emergency colon surgery a couple of days ago. And we ask, oh God, that you would encourage her this unexpected moment, Lord, that probably frightened her. And we pray that you would bring your peace into her life. And God, you know what? We thank you for the lightning win. We do. It's a community moment that we can treasure and enjoy. It's a gift from you. And we thank you for it. We thank you for all of your good gifts in our life, including the baptism that we are about to share in this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So this morning we are indeed celebrating baptism. And we get to celebrate with Justin and Jenny Treese the baptism of their baby boy, little Everett Lee, and his big sister Karina is coming this morning also. But I want to welcome all the grandparents and great-grandparents. We have Marcy Kelly and Michael Martinez. We have um, Mark and Scarlett Carlton, Pete and Alice Treese, and then great-grandmothers Velma Carlton and Dolores Treese. What a joy to have you here. Lord, let's all welcome them this morning. So as Justin and Jenny come up here, and Karina and Everett Lee, and if you add a couple of E's in there with his initials, E-L-T, you get elite. <laughs> baptism has so many meanings, it's a prism of things. And one of the things that baptism represents for us today is grace. We have been loved by God. We were on God's mind long before we came into this world. 
this little fella, part of the grace is that he entered this world right smack dab in the middle of COVID getting started. And so that's why he's so big and why I may have trouble executing this transaction. <laughs> but don't forget that it just doesn't matter because God's grace is bigger than any of these circumstances. And so COVID notwithstanding, God's, God's grace is sovereign in the life of this little boy and his sister and his mom and his dad and his family and all of us. So we reaffirm our surrender to God's grace and our own commitment to Jesus Christ signified by baptism as we engage in this together today. And as we engage in hide and seek is what we're doing. So Jenny and Justin, as you bring little Everett Lee for baptism this morning, do you claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If so, say I do. And will you promise to teach him about Jesus, read scripture to him, pray for him and pray with him so that he will grow in the grace that Fitz was just describing, understanding he's a part of the kingdom of God? If so, say we will. And will all of you, the members of this church, agree to kind of align with this family, come alongside them by praying for them as they raise their son? But together, we also are going to be speaking into Everett's life with the love of Jesus. Will you do this? If so, say, we will. The moment of truth. <laughs> come here, buddy. <laughs> Walk with me over. Walk with me over here. Now, I'm going to insist. Let's see how we do. Come here, buddy. You're going to like this. See, that's like a swimming pool. You want to go in with me? Everett Lee Treese, son of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of God, the Spirit. Amen. Yeah, you want to stick in there? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay down here so that you folks who are online with us can see me. If I go that way, you won't be able to. But look at him. Ain't he something? His daddy was a quarterback in high school. I think his sister is an athlete. I think he wants to be an athlete. This is what we know. We know that we pass characteristics like athleticism through our family, but even more importantly, we experience the grace of God together as he sings about it over the top of my voice. If you're excited about being loved by God, signified in our experience with this real thing that's happening, which is the grace of God, say yay or something like that. Yay. <laughs> Here we go, dude. <laughs> Congratulations. Yay. Congratulations. Friends, we are going to have this great big celebration right here on Sunday morning, September 12th. We want you to put it in your calendar because we are going to celebrate everything that God has done in the history of this church since 1884. But we are also going to celebrate what God is doing as he leads us into his future for us. But we need your help. We need your pictures of favorite moments like weddings, baptisms, uh, family camp, Christmas pageants, and more so that we can create a slideshow for that morning. 
All you need to do is get your pictures in to Sally Glisten by August 23rd, either on a flash drive or use the email address that you see there. Maybe take a picture of it if you're inclined to forget. God clearly has us on a big, bold journey. It's big and it's bold. So let's continue to demonstrate our trust in Jesus, our dependence on him by praying together every single day at 7.07 a.m. and p.m., by fasting together on the first Wednesday of every month. That's coming up in just a few days, and you'll hear from us to prompt you to remember. And feel free to fast from a bad habit or from food all day long or fast from anything that God puts on your heart. He will honor any way that you sacrifice on that day in order to pray. And what are we praying for at 7.07 a.m. and as we fast? We're asking right now that you would please pray over the final phases of our outstanding journey to do final design work on everything. We're asking you to pray about the new location for Matthew 25, our ministry to those who are homeless. Would you pray over those things? Uh, I know that Tony Haroon and Mary Jo Panino are poised to answer any questions that you might have. So I know that um, Mary Jo is here and she can, you know, answer your questions after worship or just email her as well. Giving back to God has helped me so much because it is challenging me to think in new ways about everything that I have. And I am learning from God that the more you give, the more comes back because God is the greatest giver in all of the universe and he won't let you outgive him. Just try. See what happens. Here are five ways that you and I can give back to God a portion of what he has so generously given to us. In our life's journey of moving onward and upward, which is what we are learning in our current series, we can sometimes get focused on the movement, onward to the next season, past the struggle and over the growing pains. And in the process, we forget to look upward. In Hebrews 12:2, it says, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. You see, it is the process of looking upward that we get to enter the presence of God and we experience his grace, his relentless love, and we are equipped with the patience, the perseverance and the peace that we need to get us through. So let's take this time to get in the presence of the Lord and stand with me.
looking at a picture of Kathy and me and our family taken in November of 2018. Yep, that was our Thanksgiving trip where all nine of us were together. We went to North Carolina. We used this for a Christmas card. I have it right here as the wallpaper on my telephone. You with me? I smile deeply. Man, that's just outstanding. Look at that. I think the guy in the middle in the red flannel shirt is really the most outstanding feature of this. I just, deep satisfaction, deep joy when I look at that picture. If God had a cell phone, your picture would be his wallpaper. Yes, it would. God delights in you. You might have thought, you might think that God has saved you because of your decency. You might think that God saved you because you work good. You might think that God saved you even because you look good. <laughs> you might think God saved you because of your attitude. But no, that's not why God saved you. In fact, if you think your salvation is based on any of those things, it's already gone south. What happens when your works weaken and your attitude sours? That's not why God saved you. God saved you for a lot of reasons. God saved you simply to, to bestow on all of us a sense of his glory. God saved us, saved you to show that he wants to make all things, all relationships right again. God saved us because he wants to demonstrate his sovereign power for sure. But one of the sweetest reasons that God saved you, saved us, is because he is fond of us. He loves us. He's crazy about us. He made you. And he delights in you. If God had a refrigerator, your picture is on it. If God had a laptop, your photo is the desktop picture. Let's do something. Let's call that grace. And we'll define it. Grace. Grace is God's unmerited love. That's a three-word definition, a little longer definition. Grace is God's unmerited favor, working powerfully in our minds and our hearts to change lives. Grace. We've sung about God's love and delight for us just now. Two songs, Reckless Love, Amazing Grace. God is crazy about us. Grace powers onward and upward. God powers onward and upward. And you know what? We're going to need grace. We're going to need God's presence. We're going to need God to be real to us because it's certain that you and I are going to experience not necessarily onward and upward but backward and downward. It's certain. It's certain that you and I are going to experience 
challenging, difficult, painful, unnavigable storms. That's what's going to happen to us. Some of us are in it right now. But it is also even equally more important to remember that there is no challenge, no difficulty over which God is not sovereign. He's in charge of everything. Jesus told us this. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. There's the backward and downward. But then he follows along behind that thought and says, but don't lose heart. I've conquered the world. The conquer verb, the Greek verb, nikeo, to say it in Greek, Nike in English. Jesus Christ has conquered all of it. Yeah, it's going to happen. We're going to get hit with it. And it's going to make a difference and it's going to be hard. But God is sovereign yet, sovereign still, sovereign in spite of our circumstances. And so God is going to lead us onward, which is forward. God's going to keep us going. And what God does is shapes us and makes us into the persons who can serve him by keeping us moving forward when we, when we might otherwise want to quit. And God also takes us upward. And what that means is that God is, is leading us into an experience of himself, his presence, which is really leading us into eternity. The backdrop of all reality is forever in the presence of God, forever in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's what heaven is, by the way. It's not some place where we nuke the planet and go somewhere else. It's God's presence. It's already started now. Pre apprentices of Jesus, you already have one foot in forever. So we keep going onward, keep forward, but also upward. And guess what else? When we experience upward, we experience our part and God's big, huge plan to put everything back together again. That's what God is trying to do. Put all things, all relationships back together again. All of them. And that's what it will be like forever when God's sovereignty takes over completely. So that's what we're working on, my friends. God wants to take good care of us. And we're all working on this, this onward and upward, which looks sometimes like downward and backward. We're all looking at this through the lens of a story about a man named Joseph. So just a bit about the backstory on Joseph. You have Abraham, who God just sort of picks randomly. He, Abraham lives over where you have modern-day Iran, Iraq, and Abraham's picked by God, and God says to him, Abe, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a big, huge family out of you. And right now he's married, but he has no children. And this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to bless you and your family. And here's the really key part we can't forget. And through this family of yours that I'm going to make, I'm going to bless the entire world. I'm going to become present in the lives of the entire world, every person on the whole planet. And you, my man, you're going to be the one that makes the big family happen, that spreads it. So what does Abe do? He says, man, I don't even know. Okay. <laughs> And off he goes. He starts trekking west to a land that God promised he would show him. He had no idea. Just go that way. And then Abe has a son, Isaac. And Isaac has a son, Jacob. And Jacob has a bunch of children, 12 sons. The 11th is a guy named Joseph. And he's the man we're watching. Now, see, the problem is, is that <clears throat> Abe and his family kept messing it up. They kept stumbling. They kept doing downward and backward things. Joseph is betrayed by his older brothers. Joseph is, Joseph is captured 
by his older brothers. Joseph is, in a sense, imprisoned by his older, older brothers. He's thrown into a pit by them. He gets out of that jam. But today we're going to see it happens to him again. Joseph is once again going to betrayed, be betrayed. He's going to be captured. He's going to be imprisoned. Watch what happens. God will not let his sovereign, huge mega plan be thwarted by any of the details in this story or any of the details in your life. God is sovereign still. So in we go with our buddy Joseph and watch what happens to him. This thing is awesome. This is Genesis chapter 39, and we're reading the first 20 verses of it. This is the backstory reminder. Now, Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the king of Egypt, the most powerful man in the world at the time. The captain of the guard, Potiphar, is of the Pharaoh. He's an Egyptian. He buys Joseph from the Ishmaelites, and the Ishmaelites had bought Joseph from Joseph's own brothers. There's the betrayal, there's the capture, there's the imprisonment. Joseph has sold to strangers, even enemies, and now Potiphar buys Joseph off of them. And look what happens next. The Lord was with Joseph. He became a successful man. Potiphar made him overseer. I'm sorry, he, Joseph became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master, Potiphar. His master saw, look carefully, his master saw that the Lord was with Joseph and that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in Joseph's hands. Let's just pause for a minute and think about this. Joseph, betrayed, captured, imprisoned, sold off, has no idea where he's going to end up. Will Joseph hold on to what is the foundation inside himself that God, even further back in his life, said, I got something for you. And I, God, God made it clear to Joseph that Joseph had a place in God's plan. Will Joseph sell out? and bail on his trust in God. That's what we've been watching because right now it is very downward and very backward. He has to learn a new language. How long will it take him to learn the language they speak in Egypt? But he learns it because look what happens. He prospers the business. The CEO, Potiphar, kicks back. Joseph earns respect. He exercises all his gifts. He's the COO of the household of the king of the most powerful country in the world and everyone prospers. Remember that thing about Abraham being a blessing so that everybody could be a blessing? Look what happens. The people around Joseph prospered. They're not his people. They're God's people, but not Joseph's. His people sold him off. But he doesn't let that get in the way. Next slide. Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight and attended him. Potiphar made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had. The, and then the next slide, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Joseph's blessing, he doesn't hold on to just for himself. It spills out. It overflows. The blessing of the Lord was on all he had in house and field. His crops grow. The people are getting along in the business. Everything is prospering. He left all this is Potiphar. Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge. Okay, this is a person speaking a different language that Potiphar bought off some weird guys. 
And Joseph, is the favor of the Lord is with Joseph so much that he prospers in this strange land, learns a new language, is able because of all his giftedness to sort of take over all the operations of Potiphar's business, which is running the household for the king. And everyone prospers from it. And watch this last line. Potiphar gets, so, gets it going so good. Look at him. Look carefully. All that boy has to worry about is his meals. Joe takes care of everything else. But watch out. It's going to go down. It's up, but it's about to go the other way. Joseph was handsome and good looking, kind of like the guy in the red flannel shirt there in that first, first picture, right? And after a time, his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, look at this. This is in the Bible. Casts her eyes on Joseph. She took a shine to him, and she has impure thoughts about Joseph. She's thinking, I want to make babies with that boy, right? Look, lie with me. She's trying to seduce him. Will Joseph collapse? Will Joseph cave in? Does Joseph trust that the call put on him, the gifts given to him, the blessing that he sees flowing out, out, out of the way he's doing what God made him good to do, will he cave in on all of that and succumb to the temptation? He refused and said to his master's wife, Look, with me here, my master has no concern about anything in the house. In other words, your husband, Potiphar, trusts me. You think I'm going to violate his trust? You think I'm going to betray him? No, I will not betray him. He has put everything that he has in my hand. And then verse 9, he's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except for you. In other words, Potiphar has made Joseph an equal to Potiphar, except for the obvious, which is Potiphar's wife. And Joseph says, no, I will not betray him. And furthermore, whatever her name is, she's unnamed, I'm not going to abuse you either. I'm not going to betray my integrity and abuse you, because that's what this would be, abuse. How could I do this great wickedness? How could I sin against God? See, Joseph is sensing that he'd be violating relationships with human beings, trust his job. He'd be violating this woman, and but he'd also be violating God. It's all wrong what's going on here. And although she spoke that she doesn't give up, she's relentless. Follow this sentence. She keeps tapping at him, although she spoke to Joseph day after day, she does not give up. She keeps after him, on and on. He would not consent to lie beside her or to be with her. All right, now we're being teased into thinking this can go one of two ways. He fails and collapses and gives in, or something else is going to go wrong. But either way, we can tell, you can feel the tension. Something's about to go wrong. Here it comes. One day, however, he went into the house to do his work, and while no one else was in the house, ooh, not a good idea, don't do that. Don't go into somebody's house if he or she is in the other, and somebody, you, don't do it. If you have an office, have glass doors. I'm serious. Don't do it. 
when she saw that he had, uh, one day when he went into the house to do his work, and while no one else was in the house, she caught hold of his garment, saying, lie with me. But he runs. He left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. He just takes off. She, she caught him, I guess he just wasn't thinking, and she grabs it, and he runs, and bam, he's out of there. Joseph is resolute. He will not succumb to the temptation. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, look what she does next. Betrayal, lying, anger, rejection. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called out to the members of her household and said to him, Look, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. Now she's sort of blaming it on the people he comes from. And look what she just did. She did a slick move here. She blamed Potiphar, her husband, for this. Does that remind you of something? Biblical thinkers, that reminds me of Genesis, not chapter 39, but chapter 3. When the man gets the apple from the woman, and then when confronted by God, says, well, the woman you made gave it to me. You see, the human condition is to blame, to run to hide, to try to get somebody else to be responsible for it. But that's, that can't happen. That's not the way it works. He, she keeps talking. He came to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. He did not come to lie with her. She's lying, the different kind of lie. And when he heard me raise my voice and cry out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. She's, she's made up a huge story blaming him. Nothing new. It happened then. It happens now, and I'm not talking now about sex. That's not what I mean. What I'm saying is when we get ourselves into trouble, we blame other people and we spin stories, and the next thing you know, we try to post ourselves up as having no responsibility. We post ourselves up with innocence. It's their fault. She kept his garment by her until his master, Potiphar, came home, and she told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant you brought among us came in to insult me. But as soon as I raised my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. We said betrayal. We said capture. We said imprisonment. That's where we're headed. Watch this. When the master heard word, the words that his wife spoke to him, saying, this is the way your servant treated me, he became enraged. Potiphar is really, really, really angry. And look what he does. Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and throws him into prison. Joe did the right thing. And he ends up in the slammer. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, one of the things that starts to show up already, grace. Because see, the ordinary sentence for this, execution. There's even grace here. In that culture, clearly, the first thing you do and the common thing would be to execute the violator. But that's not what Potiphar does. There's even the grace of God in the story of Joseph in his being imprisoned instead of taken out. There he remained in prison. And you want to know what happens next. Come back. Read ahead and come back. Because we have enough now to work with it. we got plenty right here. This thing goes downward and backward fast for Joseph. 
And what will he do? Is he going to say, life's not fair. It's not worth it to do the right thing. I don't deserve this. I'm innocent. Is that what he's going to say and capitulate? Because see, right now what's happening is we've got to have Abraham in order to have Isaac. We've got to have Isaac in order to have Jacob. We've got to have Jacob in order to have Joseph. Because after Joseph, boom, bang, 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 we get King David. And after him, bang, 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 we get Jesus. You see what's happening here? What looks like a downward and backward spiral into nothingness. God is still not finished. And God's mega plan is to give us a Jesus. Talk about downward and backward. Jesus crucified? But really, it's onward and upward. The execution of Jesus, the most heinous evil ever perpetrated by human beings in history. I'll say that again. I want you to stew on this, meditate on this. The crucifixion of Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, is the most evil evil ever happened. With all of the horrible things that human beings have done, that's the worst. And it looks like the thing is over with Joseph. And it looked like the thing was over with Jesus. But we know how the story ends, which is why we can sing about grace, which is why God's got your picture on his refrigerator and why he looks at it and smiles with profound warmth because God is crazy about us. Potiphar's wife looks like an obstacle. She looks like a potential disaster for God's plan. And yet that's not how it turns out. That's not what happens here. But you need to come back and you need to read, do both, to see how this story works its way out. It's not going to be the last time that Joe comes back. He's the comeback kid, but then after he comes back, it's going to go downward again. Which is a way for us to understand that our challenges, our difficulties, our pains, our storms that seem like there's no way through them. This is where we sit with God. How are we going to respond? Is God absent? Doesn't it feel that way sometimes? How do you think Joseph feels right about now? He's hurting. Is it really worth it to do the right thing? No good deed goes unpunished. That's how Joseph might happily and might reliably or reasonably feel. Life has been unfair, so why even bother? These are the kind of questions that certainly he could have had. I know that you and I have them. I want to tell you about Jesus. When he was in the backward and downward part of his experience, I want to tell you about Good Friday. You know what? When Jesus has nails piercing through his body, here's what he does. The ultimate loser is what Jesus looks like. And here's what he does. He quotes Psalm 22, couplets of downward and backward followed by upward, by onward and upward. Watch this, Psalm 22, I'm just reading the first two couplets, the first couplet. Psalm 22, Jesus recites this hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? It's where Joe is right now. It might be how somebody you care about feels right now. Why are you so far away, says Psalm 22, when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, 
but I find no relief. There's Jesus quoting the psalm, inviting you and me into this rhythm of the pain and difficulty and challenge and circumstance. But Jesus then turns, as Joseph is clearly doing, and he puts his trust in God. This is what comes next. After that lament, Jesus says this back to the Almighty God, who is his Father. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Jesus is saying, I still trust you, your mega plan, your plan that eternally, forever, people will be able to live forever with you in your presence. Our ancestors trusted you in you, and you rescued them. Now, that's what King David writing this, and Jesus quoting him. They cried out to you, and they were saved. See, we're not saved by what we do. We're saved by God because God loves us. God is crazy about us. So Jesus, with the pain of the cross in the sense of abandonment, is crying out, lamenting, and then turns and says, I trust you anyway. They trusted in you, meaning the ancestors of, of Jesus, and they were never disgraced. That's how Jesus handled this. That's how Jesus handled the downward and the backward. Because onward and upward, oh, resurrection day. Is that fantastic? That's what happens next. We get brand new life. So I, I think that I have a challenge for you. As you experience something about the difficulty, the ambiguity of your experience, your circumstances, your right now today, this is what I want you to do. I want you to realize that grace, God's love, can see in the darkness. Grace can see in the dark. And that Joseph somehow manages to see beyond his circumstances, to hang on. And that's what I want you and me to do. But I want us to make it very relational. I want you to think about how you can be, instead of concerned about your circumstances, see the bigger picture and think about yourself as a person through whom blessing is going to flow into somebody else's life. So here's where you're going to do that. Who is your one? Who's the one person right now, somebody came into your mind, who's the person who you think God wants you to love? Forget about your stuff. Your, your stuff is not going to ever go away. You're going to have it. But here's what we got to do. Let ourselves be the overflow of blessing. Potiphar's household was full of blessing because Joseph did his thing. Who is your one? It might be somebody in your family. It might be somebody where you work if you work for a paycheck. It might be one of your buddies that you hang out with. It might be somebody in your school. And you simply start listening to this person in a new way by asking questions. If you're in a life group, who is it that you really care about who you want to invite to be in your life group? Because who doesn't need that? Who doesn't need a place to go where it's safe, where we can do life, where people trust me, where I trust them, where it's okay to be messed up? Everybody, I know people who say, I'd kill for my life group. Wow. Who doesn't need to be in a group where you feel that strongly about it? It's your one. Who's not in that kind of environment who needs to be in one? Friends, it may seem downward. It may seem backward. Look beyond the circumstances. Let Joseph help you. Let Jesus help you. Let the resurrection buoy us. Let's be people that love others well, and through us then come the blessings of God. Our circumstances are always going to be all kinds of mixed. 
Let me pray for us. We thank you, gracious God, that you are preparing us through difficulty for what you have prepared for us. In other words, what's next? We can see that in Joseph. This thing is going to get big. It's going to get real big. And Joseph is going to be vital and central to get the family bigger and bigger so that all the nations of the earth can be blessed. And we can be a blessing in other people's lives, circumstances notwithstanding, by simply paying attention to one person, listening well, asking questions, praying for that person. And maybe sometime in between now and six months from now, if we invite gently and carefully, maybe that person will engage in a group. It's just one great way that a person would know their love. Gracious God, we leave here today knowing that you have a picture of us on your heart. You're crazy about me. You love me. You love us. Thank you, gracious God, that you look at us and you have a huge, deep smile. We want to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen. My friends, I'm going to invite you to stand, and this is what I want you to do. Leave here today and figure out who is that one and love them really well.